That was Jesus' plan A for reaching the world. And there is no plan B. I mean, we can do a lot of things around the church and not make disciples. And again, you know, I think in new normal, uh, whatever that looks like in the next few months and on the other side of whenever this ends, uh, I just think it's, it, it is time for the church to reclaim its core calling and that's making disciples. Hello and welcome to the CLB Forge podcast. This is the show to help equip you and your church for mission, ministry, and multiplying disciples. I'm Mike Natal. And I'm Ryan Nelson. Welcome to episode 13. Today's guest was the founding and lead pastor at Journey Church in Westchester, Ohio. He serves as the chief catalyst with Healthy Growing Churches, a grassroots network of pastors and churches, passionate about healthy leaders, healthy churches, and church multiplication. Um, He loves helping church leaders create a multiplication culture within their organization. He's got 27 years of ministry experience and has coached dozens of pastors and church planners over the last 13 years. Later this summer, he's leading a multiplication coaching cohort for CLB North American Mission, and we're really excited about that. And actually, by the time you hear this episode, that group will be up and rolling. Uh, We're really excited about that. He's married to his wife, Andrea, and has two grown children, Titus and Hannah, and a daughter-in-law, Kelsey. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Tom Plank. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's great, great to have you. You can follow Tom, by the way, on Twitter at, at Tom Plank. That's T-O-M-P-L-A-N-C-K. And you can find him at healthygrowingchurches.com. It's so great to, to have you here with us. Yeah, yeah I'm super excited to be here. Sweet. Yeah, we're excited uh, that you could take time out of your schedule to be here with us. And uh, as we get started, like we shared uh, before we went live, we have a lot of listeners uh, who are maybe they don't really know who you are. They've never met you. They never heard about you. And so we want to give you a little bit of time to kind of tell us about your spiritual journey. I have a group of friends who uh, live in Cleveland and the Canton area. And then we have a church, a Lutheran Brethren church in Menor. Uh, and so I know that that's all in that surrounding area. And so hopefully this will be their pull in to our podcast is that, Hey, we got an Ohio guy, but here's the real question. If I were to say, Oh, how would you respond? I O. Hey, there you go. Are you a Buckeye <laughs> fan out. or no? Absolutely. My son's absolutely. an alum, alumni. And absolutely. Nice. That's about the only thing we'll agree on with my uh, Cleveland brothers and sisters. There you go. <laughs> well, I think that you and I, so I'm an alumni of Penn State. So I think uh, you and I can bridge the gap and just both say that we don't like Michigan. Or there I mean go. that team up north, you know? So there you go. So it's great to have you here. You guys are talking and, about oh, sports, sorry, aren't you? You're talking about something yeah, sportsing related. Yeah, That's what I thought. Sorry. Sorry, Ryan. <laughs> Apologies. Uh, we could, is there a, a related way that we could relate that to Star Trek? Like, were there football teams in Star Trek or something that you might be able to grasp onto or? Uh, no, nope. no, no. Uh, okay. But we do have a question for you, Tom, <laughs> since you brought it up. Uh, we would like you to, we'd like you to answer this question. Which do you think is better, Star Trek or Star Wars? And no matter what you say, you'll upset one of us. Yeah, I really apologize in advance, but definitely Star Wars. Oh, yep. <laughs> yep, winner. We have not a doing big well winner. with this. That's great. That not means doing I get well to ask the first question as Ryan uh, silently cries in the background. So, Tom, why don't you uh, give us a little bit of your intro? Uh, tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey and what brought you to this point. Well, I grew up in church. Uh, I am the grandson of a pastor. And so my mom was a PK. So when the lights were on, we were there. Uh, you know, headed into my 
teens, you know, after growing up in church, I can remember standing in the back of our church. Uh, now, now keep in mind, uh, I grew up in Southwest Ohio and there was a significant influx of uh, West Virginia and Kentucky folks uh, into the hometown where I grew up in Southwest Ohio, be, be, mainly for work. And so there was a heavy influence of uh, hellfire and brimstone. Is that a familiar term to to you all and to to the listeners, that's kind of the congregation and culture that I grew up in. I remember standing in the back of the church during what we called an altar call, multiple verses of a hymn and a plea to come forward to accept Jesus. And I remember thinking, I'm out. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm out. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll play the game, but I'm out. And uh, into my junior year in high school, we got a, uh, the, our church got a new pastor and he emphasized the mercy and grace side of God as much as he did the judgment side. And I remember for the first time uh, experiencing a softening heart toward not just church, because I was expected to be there, uh, but to the gospel and to a relationship with Jesus. And I gave my heart to Christ in the middle of my junior year in high school and was doing my best to pursue him best I knew how at the time. And uh, I sensed early on a call to occupational ministry and uh, ran from that. The last thing that I wanted to be was a pastor. <laughs> Not that I had had a bad experience with that. I love my grandfather and I have tremendous respect for him and, and all that he was able to accomplish in his ministry. But I just said, that's not what I wanted. I was a sports guy and I wanted to be a high school teacher and a coach. And so I kind of made a bargain with God that uh, I'd go to a Christian college if he'd let me be uh, a teacher and a coach. So I landed at a faith-based uh, college in Indianapolis, north and east of Indianapolis. And I got a semester in and realized that teaching and coaching was probably not in the cards for me, that this call was much bigger than I realized even as a high school student. So changed my major and was off and running from there. Received a call to not just ministry early on, but to church planning. I remember the the first time I sensed that, I didn't even have the language to describe that. I remember racing home to my wife and uh, we got married in between semesters of our junior year and undergrad. And uh, I said, Hey, God's going to use us to plant a church one day. And she's like, what's that? Cause we did, that wasn't a thing uh, in our particular, my particular uh, tribe. And so a long story short, we ended up there way sooner than we anticipated. Uh, we'd been in ministry two years. We've been married two years and we were planting a church in Cincinnati, Ohio in 94, 95. We were 23. You can imagine we were fully prepared for the task. <laughs> So long story short, we spent 10 years kind of growing up, starting a family, embedding ourselves in the community. And uh, at the nine and a half year mark, in a very long story short, we ended up shutting that church down and leveraging that core of people to launch a brand new church. That was Journey Church. Pastored there for 11 or 12 years before transitioning to HGC and I'll be full time with HGC uh, this fall, four years. So it's been been a lot of fun to have the opportunity to be a voice and be an influence with pastors and churches, uh, you know, across the country and even outside the U the U S uh, in a, a few ways. So it's been, it's been good. Wow. Thank you for, thanks for sharing your story. I really appreciate that. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to, for this conversation we're having today. And uh, I'm looking forward to the coaching cohort where you're going to be leading for us uh, yeah. coming up here. Uh, Absolutely. That, that's going to be great. And in my conversations with you, I just, I love your heart for, for church plant planting, but especially for mission engagement and multiplying disciples. That's just really clear. And um, and today, we're going to hear from you on four ways uh, 
to thrive in the new normal of ministry. Four ways to thrive in the new normal of ministry. And right now, just to set the context, in case, uh, depending on when you're listening or watching this, uh, we're, we're in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, and churches and ministries are beginning to reopen in some ways. And I think what we're seeing at this point in, you know, in early July 2020, this is going to be a long, slow process, mm-hmm. and things are going to change. Things are are, are going to be different. And I know, I know, for example, new normal is one of those phrases that everyone's tired of hearing. And sure. yet it's so important for us to understand what's coming and, and what we can do to be ready, how we can engage in ministry in an effective manner. And, and if we're not ready, we're going to be frustrated. Our churches are going to struggle. And so we really appreciate the chance uh, just to get some advice and insight from your observations, your thoughts about what's coming ahead. So you're bringing four ways to thrive in the new normal of ministry. And Tom, can you tell us about that first point you've got for us, your first bit of advice? Yeah, before I jump in there, Ron, um, yeah. I might just add to that. You know, I, I think that it's not only a new normal in the midst of this pandemic, but I think it's new normal on the other side of whenever we get on the other side of whatever, whatever it yeah, is we're going, yeah. you know, you're going yeah, through, absolutely. Right? Good point. so I think there's yep. a new normal now, but I think, you know, when, you know, cause coronavirus isn't going away, we're just going to have to learn how to live with it. So when we can live with it in a more uh, normal way, you know, where we can be out and interacting and all those sorts of things, I still think that, that, that even on the other side of it, there's going to be a new normal. So, yeah. you know, leaning into some yeah. of the things that I wanted to share today, I think has shelf life, not only for the next six, eight, you know, 10 months, but I think way beyond that. With that in mind, the, the first thing that I, I think is important as we look at what it, what, it, what it looks like to thrive in the new normal is just leading ourselves well. Uh, I, you know, I'm not sure if self-leadership and soul care have ever been more important. You know, as I think about what we're experiencing, you know, not just the pandemic, but, you know, the, the social and racial unrest. I mean, the tension that we're experiencing yeah. on that front is probably as high as it was, you know, in the 60s. And so you've got <laughs> a pandemic and racial tension, you know, layered on top of one another uh, with a you know myriad of other things. And yeah. I think what's needed most is non-anxious presence. And that's not a new term with me. I'm, I would imagine you all and even some of your listeners have done some reading on that. But again, I, I'm not sure there's ever been a greater need for non-anxious leaders being present in their cities, being present with their, their congregations, just being that calming, non-anxious voice in the conversation. And I think mm-hmm. for that to be the case, uh, I think we have to to be that. I think we have to be leading ourselves well. Most importantly, taking care of our own souls. One of the illustrations that I've been using the last several months is I've interacted with leaders, especially around the COVID nineteen and developing a response plan and those kinds of things. It's almost as if we're mid flight, and the oxygen masks have dropped down, and the, the flight attendant gets on the mic and she said, Hey, I, know, I made some announcements at the beginning of this flight. No one was paying attention, but I just want to remind you, put your mask on first. Mm. And I think that's where we are. Um, I, 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 I think to lead well in this season, to lead well in new normal, we just have to lead ourselves well and we have to care for our souls. And unfortunately I learned that the hard way uh, when, you know, HGC over the last couple of years has um, done 80% of what we do, 75% of what we do is in a Zoom window. So when COVID hit, nothing changed for me. Um, 
I pivoted and we launched some COVID-19 cohorts. And so I went from spending 16, 17 hours in a Zoom window to close to 40 <laughs> for about an eight week window. And I'll never forget, it was a Monday morning and I had a full calendar ahead of me. And I have a morning routine. I'd worked out. I was having breakfast. I was gotten a shower. I'd gotten a shower and I was making my way up to this room in my house, which is my office, which is where I had stood for, you know, hundreds of hours over the last couple of weeks. And I remember the distinct feeling of, I don't want to do that today. <laughs> and I can say to you all with yeah. integrity that I had never felt that way as it relates to my role with healthy growing churches. I'd never had a day where I thought, I don't want to do that today. And it was, you know, that light bulb of like, all right, something in me is not working. <laughs> um, and I think part of it was, uh, you know, obviously I was, I was exhausted, you know, just physically and mentally exhausted. You know, we talk, everybody's talking about Zoom fatigue. That yeah. was all, no question. That was a dynamic at play. And so I made some adjustments to my calendar, all of that to say, I think there's some really important questions that we have to wrestle to the ground. And that is, how are you caring for your soul? Because if you're not caring for your soul, not only in this season, and I think that's always been true, but I think even more true in this season, eventually you will crash. You know, the other piece to it is how are you resting? Uh, you know, we got to, I know it's changed in the last few weeks just with summer settling in. But, you know, most of us, we were halfway through quarter two and none of us had had any vacation time. Um, so if you're listening to this pastors and you don't have a plan to rest between now and the end of the year, you need to develop one. If that's shrinking your work week, if it's, you know, blocking some calendar to do a staycation, if it's trying to get away somewhere, uh, you've just got to build time in to, to rest. And, you know, sometimes that doesn't feel sexy or spiritual, <laughs> but in reality, it is very spiritual. Uh, God worked six, he rested one. That was the rhythm of life. And I, if we're not doing that, eventually we're going to crash. So thriving in normal and even thriving in the new normal just demands that, you know, that we not only care for ourselves, but lead ourselves well to do that. We've got to care for our souls. We've got to rest. I think the other questions to wrestle with is how are we fostering deeper relationships with, you know, friends and family? Um, and we've never been more disconnected. And I know that's changing now as things begin to kind of reopen and measures are being lifted, but, you know, we just weren't built to, to live the way we lived for 90 days or more. Uh, and so how are we fostering and rekindling relationships? And then finally, I would just say, you know, how are you morphing as a leader? Um, if you're going to thrive in new normal, who you were 90 days ago, 120 days ago, that leader isn't going to work in new normal. So I think you really have to wrestle to the ground. You know, how are you morphing? How are yeah. you morphing as a leader? How are you changing? How are you growing? Because it's going to require a new you to thrive in a new normal. That's great. Yeah, I I really uh, resonate with what you're saying. And we, when we think about, that, you know, when when we set up this time uh, to talk, I think the the main theme really was coronavirus, but mm. uh, it really is at least a, a three prong massive shift that's happening that's that's impacting the way we relate with our our mission field, and not just coronavirus, but also issues around uh, racial justice, and I would say also political polarization. And then you can add 20 other things in there too. It really is remarkable. And I, I resonate with what you're saying about uh, the need for self-care. You know, I've been uh, working for the CLB for just under a year and um, it'll be about a year of the time this airs. And I've, so I've been working as a remote worker from my home. 
I was establishing good boundaries. And then when the pandemic hit and I wound up uh, leading our our uh, COVID response, all my boundaries went out the window. I was working longer and longer days. You know, I got this false mindset like, oh, I've got to, if I don't do this, everything's going to fall apart. And uh, uh, just, I had to I just wore myself out, had to, had to reestablish boundaries and also had to deal with, uh, you know, you know, some uh, self-pride, self-importance, and even, even taking vacation. Now I'm about to take some vacation and I haven't wanted to do it. And, you know, thinking like, oh, it's bad to be away right now, but no, man, nothing's, wheels are not coming off of anything if we take time to, to rest and recuperate. Yeah. I'm happy to hear you say that Ryan. Um, because I know, well, no, I'm being serious, man. Like, cause at, on Thursday. So like one of the things, and what's amazing about this, your first point about leading yourself. Well, I mean, I think about all the stuff that's come out of that, like this podcast, the whole reason why you think that we'd be doing this podcast if it wasn't for COVID. No, I don't think so. No, probably not. Right. You know, uh, even as a denomination, as I look at what other people are doing, people seem so more like so much more willing to share what's working for them now, where I wonder, like, would that have been a thing if it wasn't for COVID? Yeah. You know, so like if there's one thing that I've really noticed more than anything else that's come out of um, this pandemic is that man has God made us adaptable. He has created us to be resilient to persevere and to be adaptable. And that first point is exactly that, you know, leading yourself well comes from that ability to uh, push into the way that God has made you. And so uh, we, on Thursdays, we gather for a pastor's prayer gathering. And one of the things, I can't remember the exact wording, but Ryan mentioned (laughs) something about his vacation. Do you remember your wording today? And like, yeah, you I said, by three so, of us. Yeah, I said, I, <laughs> I said, I know it's not the most important thing in the world. Yeah. But I, I'd ask if you pray for my vacation. Yeah, I know it's not the most important thing. <laughs> and like, literally, he got completely <laughs> chastised by at least great. three of us yeah, yeah, to say, no, this is important. And, and it's been really great because seeing the pastors who are taking time to go somewhere with their families and do stuff and being like, I don't even know if I'm supposed to leave right now. And it's like, you know what, if you don't, you're only as good to your congregation as you are alive. And, and if you're going to, if you're going to burn out or you're not going to be able to do stuff because you're running yourself too hard, forget it, man. They're not going to be able to use you then anymore. So, so that's been really encouraging me to hear that first point from you, because that's something that, I've really been trying to harp on hardcore with not only myself, not only my spouse or our church, but also other pastors who are in our denomination where it's like, you know, it's, it's okay. Like get out, do stuff, go someplace else. People are going to be resilient and persevere through and be adaptive, but they might not be if you're there. They might constantly just come back to you. You know, like half the time I share as a joke, but there's a lot of times where I wonder if I'm less a pastor and more just a first Google where people call me and they're like, Hey, can you, do you know X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, yeah, but you could have just Googled that and figured it out. Like you, you know how to do <laughs> <Sure>. that. <laughs> and so like, if uh, sometimes yeah. if you don't answer the phone or if you make people figure things out for themselves, like they, they can do it. And then they, they learn that for future things. So I love that leading well is, is such a great way. Can you share with us your second point? Yeah, absolutely. And, 
you know, the, the, the two through four, uh, just as a prerequisite, you know, I, I, th- I think the really cool thing about COVID, if I could say it that way, I'm not sure there's anything good about COVID, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I, I think it, it's an opportunity for us as leaders to see the acceleration of some really good stuff, you know, missional behavior, change, health. I think it's created a unique crucible for us to see all of that accelerate. The second thing that I would share about thriving in new normal is I think that it's, it's an opportunity for us to focus on disciple making to a third and fourth generation of reproduction. And I, I chose those words carefully because when I say, hey, focus on disciple making, I would think most churches or most pastors on the call or, or listening to this podcast are going to go, well, yeah, we do that. <laughs> and you put a, a qualifier of two third and fourth generations of reproduction. I don't know very many churches in the United States that have disciple making happening to third and fourth generations mm. of reproduction. And so, you know, in many ways, that dynamic at play in your church and mine really can be the engine for everything that I want to share in the next few minutes, points three, points four. Um, But as you think about disciple making, uh, what I would say to us is uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, go into all the world, make disciples was Jesus's plan a for reaching the world. (laughs) I mean, when he, when he sat down and like, how are we going to get this message, you know, to, to everyone, that was the plan. It was one individual helping another individual walk toward and across the line of faith. And then that individual pouring into them until they're a fully functioning, obedient, godly, Holy Spirit following disciple. And then the process repeats. That was Jesus' plan A for each in the world. And there is no plan B. I mean, we can do a lot of things around the church and not make disciples. And again, you know, I think in new normal, uh, whatever that looks like in the next few months and on the other side of whenever this ends uh i just think it's it it is time for the church to reclaim its core calling and that's making disciples and the reality of it is we're playing chess and the queen has been removed (laughs) and it left us all scrambling for um options Uh, we didn't have our buildings we didn't have our programs but yet we still had this mission uh, and you know, a new normal, you know, now and, and going forward, who knows if people are going to return, how do we stay on mission? I think the only way we do that is if we go back to our core calling. And again, this is a, a podcast in and of itself. So I, I can drill down into a thousand different uh, holes to help us kind of think through this, but you know, Alex Absalom's done some great writing. He's spinning off of, uh, uh Joseph Myers, um, significant uh, significance to belong, but the, the space, the, the spaces that we interact with and how we leverage those around the church, right? Public space, social space, smaller, small group space, but then this vulnerable space basically says the gap in most of our churches is the vulnerable space, right? We're encouraging people, the fifth space divine, but if you just think about the four, so we've got public worship, we probably have some training things that we're doing that it may involve 20, 30, 40, 50 people. So it's more social space. And then you know, many of our churches probably have some version of small groups or Sunday school classes or whatever you call it. But what's missing is that vulnerable space. And I think that vulnerable space is the unique opportunity for us to truly make disciples that can make disciples that can make disciples. And so anytime you're talking about this, there's some really important terms that need to be defined. One of those is disciple, right? And 
I, I don't, I don't want to parse out that word and try to figure out, uh, you know, all the things that it tells of being discipleable. The one thing that I would put as a qualifier, whatever definition you develop of disciple, it has to include the raising up, the reaching and the raising up of other disciples. It just has to, mm, just, yeah, yeah. Just, it's impossible yep. to read the gospels and to not read that. But yet, the few number of people in our churches that have helped someone walk to and across the line of faith and then poured into them to where the process repeated, it just has to grieve the heart of God at how few people have that story to tell. And mm. quite honestly, I think that's probably true of some of us in leadership, uh, whether it's you know board or core leaders or even some of us as pastors. But we just think for a moment about the power of the church. If the people that filled our congregations all had two, three, four, twelve that they were helping walk to and across the line of faith, mm-hmm. become disciples and see the process repeat. You know, when I say disciple making, I'm not talking about a program. I'm talking about an intentional pathway, one that's strategic, it's comprehensive, it's a clear process for not only making disciples but multiplying. Um, multiplying disciples. And again, we, it's a whole separate podcast, but I wanted to get some of that out there as we, we think about focusing on discipleship and and new normal. The other two things I would say is that I think for most of us, when we think discipleship, we think knowledge. I'm not talking about more knowledge. I'm talking about more obedience. Um, Mm. I'm talking about obedience-based disciple making, raising up people who can hear the voice of God and then have the courage to follow that. And if, if, if you're poured into someone and they're beginning to, to, to be able to discern the voice of God in their own spirit, their own heart, and they're following that, then my, from my perspective, you've made a disciple. And I think to get there, it has to be relationships over content, right? Because when we say disciple making, we're like, hey, go through this program, read these five books, check these three boxes, and then you get the certificate. That's not at all what we're talking about. Um, talking about something that's obedience based, it's relationally driven. There's kind of a path that you're walking. And again, I could talk about that all day because it's <laughs> something I'm super passionate about. And you know what, guys, yeah. part of the reason I'm passionate about that is because for 20 plus years, I led an attractional church that was fantastic at helping people walk to and across the line of faith. And then we uh, done our, did our best to get them involved in a small group, serve them once a month and give them a little bit of money. And we felt like we'd hit a home run, right? Um, Mm -hmm. so in some ways it's me spending the second half of ministry, redeeming one of the great wrongs of, (laughs) of of ministry for me. So, wow. Yeah. Thanks. That's powerful. When we think about, uh, just how, uh, God, I think God has used this time of crisis to get us to stop just being super busy with programming. We can't do Mm -hmm. a lot of that right now. And even looking at the fall, a lot of things we'd like to do this fall are not going to happen. And instead of being disappointed and discouraged and demoralized, we can see this for what it is. God is giving us a fresh opportunity to engage in disciple-making, that multi-generational disciple-making. So, number one, lead yourself well. Number two, focus on disciple-making to the third and fourth generations. Tom, what's your third point for us today? Yeah, the the third and fourth are going to be maybe potentially a, a little bit more outside the box. Um, so, hang in there with me. But I, I think number three, thriving in new normal is going to demand that we decentralize now or never. Uh, again, um, the queen was removed from the board. And I think this is a unique opportunity for us to put Sundays in its rightful place. Let me give you, the, let me give you an illustration of that. 
So think about an ice cream sundae. You've got ice cream and then whatever else you like on it, right? Caramel and chocolate and nuts and whipped cream and maybe a cherry on top. For, for most churches in the United States, the cherry on top was the mission. <laughs> it was Matthew 28, 19. At best, it was the cherry on top. And Sundays were all the other pieces of the, you know, the banana split or the ice cream sundae. Mm. What, what I'm saying is this is a unique opportunity for us to put Sundays in its rightful place where we bring mission and missional behavior, everyday missionaries and disciple making becomes all of the pieces of the Sunday. And then Sundays or corporate worship becomes the cherry on top. Again, I think it's a unique opportunity for us to put mission uh, to put disciple making back in the hands of the people. If, they, if there's ever going to be a second reformation where the first one was all about putting the Bible back in the hands of the people, I think it's time for us to put disciple making and mission back in the hands of the people. Um, you know, how, how do we, how do we do mission that isn't centered around a building that isn't centered around a pastor or a group of pastors or a staff? How do we put mission back in the hands of the people? And I think one of the ways that we do that is just reclaiming incarnational presence, being present in our workplaces, being yeah. presence yeah. Uh, in our neighborhoods, being presence in the places where uh, we play. Uh, Hugh Halter, uh, if that's a familiar name to you all, um, He's written some fantastic books in this space yeah. in the last several yeah. years, and, and, and he's living it. Uh, said this on a, a cohort that I was on a few weeks ago. He said, evangelism is not telling people something. <laughs> Listen to this. This is so good. It's changing their assumptions. Think about that for a moment. That's especially true in a culture that's racing toward post-Christian. It's not mm -hmm. telling. People don't want to be told anything. But if you can change their assumptions about God, about the church, about Christians, I mean, we have some, tr we have lots of gaps to close on that front. And I think the only way we change people's um, assumptions is just presence. Um, I, I, I love that idea. And, and as I look back over my shoulder, you know, especially when I was a young pastor, um, that, that, that was how I shared the gospel. Um, I was a fairly decent athlete growing up and played baseball was my sport. And so when I became, uh, got on the other side of high school baseball, uh, you know, what, what baseball players do when they get in their twenties and thirties is they play this game called softball. And I played <laughs> at a fairly competitive level. And I'll, I'll never forget how the climate would change on of a conversation or a team or a moment when the conversation came up, what do you do? Well, when you say you're a pastor, that the climate just changes, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so from that point forward, I had to change their assumptions of what mm -hmm. a pastor was. And if I could do that, then I earned the opportunity and the right to tell them something. You know, again, I, I, I think the future of the church, I know this is a strong statement, but I, I, believe, this to, I believe this to be true pre-COVID. Post-COVID, I believe it to be tr even more true. Because I think the the the, um, the pace toward being a post-Christian culture and being a, a de-churched society is only going to be accelerated with the season that we're walking through. And mm -hmm. so here's here, here's the statement: I think the the true influence of the church hinges on our ability to inspire, equip, raise up, 
empower and send everyday missionaries to be missionaries in the places where they work, live and play. And I think if we can do that, even if we don't have our buildings and even if we don't have our programs, we still can be on mission. Uh, if it's centralized around a person, if it's centralized around a group, if it's centralized around a building, I, I think we we limit the true power of of the church. And so one of the ways that um, that I've seen this kind of play out is churches developing what uh, what's called radical minimums. Um, and they're radical in the sense that not they're not these may, like way outside the box ideas. They're radical because every individual in that particular church is doing them or every group is doing them. So every so we develop a radical minimum for something we want every individual to do. And it's radical because it, it because everyone's doing it, it gets an outsized return. And then we have a radical minimum that we want every group to be doing mm-hmm. some way that they're being missionaries in the places where they work, live and play. So, again, yeah. I think. I think new normal presents us with an opportunity to continue to operate decentralized. Again, it doesn't mean we won't have centralized moments or things, but I think it's a unique opportunity for us to decentralize. That's great. Yeah, Thanks for sharing that. That The idea of flipping that uh, so that mission is the focus seems like it's yeah. one of those things where you're like, well, well, yeah, but then stepping back and like looking at it, you notice that mission really is just that small cherry on top, like you're pointing out. So yeah, thank you for thank you for pointing that out. So just to just to recap, and then we'll go into the fourth point. One is uh, lead yourself well, and then two is disciple making to the third and fourth generation, and then the one that we just talked about was uh, decentralized now or never. So what's the fourth and final point? Yeah, the fourth and final point is I, I, I think this is a unique opportunity as well for us to empower leaders to lead small churches. And when I say small churches, I'm talking about uh, some other words that have been used around that faith communities, micro churches, missional communities. I don't really care about the language, but I think it's a unique opportunity for us to, to literally empower other leaders to, to lead a group of people. Um, mm. And when I say small churches, I'm talking about spiritual families that are moving toward mission. I'm talking about small churches or spiritual families on mission that have embedded themselves into a community. And even smaller churches that are living into some minimal ecclesiology, right? Because if you use the word church, then there's certain things that have to kind of orbit around that group of people, relationships and worship and mission. Um, And then Sundays become a celebration of what God's doing in and through these missionaries that are part of these smaller families that are on mission. Again, I I think in new normal, the church is going to have a unique opportunity to celebrate all kinds of crazy, cool expressions, new and fresh expressions of, of the church. And Sundays become a place of celebration and a training ground for, you know, for missionaries. Mm. Um, if you'd like to do some more reading on that front, uh, Tampa Underground, uh, Brian Sanders has uh, a great ministry to kind of follow. Uh, Alex, I mentioned uh, Alex Absalon a little bit early earlier, but uh, he's doing some tremendous work in that space and has written a couple books. Uh, he's living it out in California, Northern California. So, again, I think it's a unique opportunity. And again, you don't you don't need a building if you're empowering leaders to lead smaller churches. You don't need your program and you don't need your building, right? You've empowered missionaries to yeah. live in these mm-hmm. and operate and function in these smaller circles. And again, I think it's a unique opportunity for us. Yeah, that's yeah. great. That's a great creative response to, you know, the the standard way we've been doing ministry may not be very feasible 
or some of our our groups and what what a great way to advance and mission engagement yeah and you know ryan just one thing that i would add you know in yeah. the midst of of coronavirus I, you know so let's say we have a vaccine right so you know coronavirus isn't going away it's just going to morph and change mm-hmm. are people going to be are, are they going to are they going to gather again i mean at this point we don't mm-hmm. know and i think we have to be prepared to continue to function without our buildings or yeah. our buildings in limited capacity. And again, I think this is one option to, you know, continue to thrive in, in new normal. Yeah. Thank you so much for your, your insights on this, Tom. Uh, so thank you for your, your four ways that we can thrive in the new normal ministry. One, lead yourself well. Two, focus on disciple making to the third and fourth generations. Three, decentralize now or never. Four, powering leaders to lead smaller churches. I really appreciate that. You know, on that third point too, you were mentioning about decentralizing now or never never in our lutheran circles we you know we talk about worship we talk about it as word and sacrament and there's a, a missiologist named dean natasdy who a lutheran scholar who talks about how we have confused the the ministry means with the ministry ends that that worship gathering for word and sacrament is what uh, equips and empowers us refuels us for mission engagement that's right and mm-hmm. we've we've, yeah, we've uh, right. switched that up yeah, thank you so much, Tom, for being our guest. You can find Tom at on Twitter at, at Tom Plank, T-O-M-P-L-A-N-C-K, and at healthygrowingchurches.com. And please be in prayer for Tom as uh, six CLB pastors and I uh, are a part of your uh, coaching cohort. Tom, we're really looking forward to that. Yeah, I am as well. Looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Yeah, and Tom, I don't want to put you on the spot, but, I, but I'd love for you to consider to come back on and uh, be a guest again on our yeah. podcast. So yeah. something to think about. And uh, Ryan and I will be praying hardcore for that. So we'll keep you posted on that. To the listeners, um, thanks for tuning in to our show today. And uh, if you have any ideas of topics that you'd like us to cover or uh, input of ways to make this podcast better, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can email us at podcast at clbforge.org. And don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you can get notifications when the podcast drops. Uh, And then if you wouldn't mind, we really appreciate it. As Tom was talking about making disciples, this is a great way to share different ideas and different resources that people can have. So if you could take this podcast and share it with a friend or colleague, that would be awesome. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. See you guys.